good to have you here. Notice that when the children go out, about half the church goes that way. That's why we need help. Did you see how many people left? A whole lot. So thank you so much for caring for the kids, caring for the next generation, knowing that someone is caring for your children, your grandchildren. So thank you for that so much. This morning we're continuing with our study in First Peter. This is not to say that we have completed our emphasis on the Holy Spirit. It's a continuing emphasis that we want to make sure that is undergirding everything that we're discussing and that we share. Is this too loud? I mean, this is, it, it's, you know, do whatever you need to do, but be careful. The, the machine kind of carries me along. Um, so this morning we're going back to our first uh, study of 1 Peter to. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. Let me read the scripture to us. And as I do that, let's remember this. Peter's purpose in writing this letter is pastoral. It's not basically theological, although to be pastoral, we must be theological. But the basis and the purpose and the goal of his instruction is to encourage the church, is to protect the church, is to help the church understand that the experiences of suffering, trials, attacks, persecution that they're going through is not something unusual and apart from God's purpose, and that God is still trying to figure out how to handle this. So he's been doing this, remember, as we saw in the beginning of the epistle. And now in chapter 4, he's continuing. So I'll read to us from the ESV, English Standard Version. Chapter 4, 1 Peter, verses 12 to 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed if you are insulted for the name of Christ you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you As we said, the apostle has been dealing with this issue of suffering, and now we come to this particular passage this morning. Let me read to you how one commentator describes what we'll be listening to today. This commentator says this, the apostle employs repetition with conscious design. Apostolic teaching is repetitious teaching. So don't sit here this morning and say, I heard that, I was there, I don't need to hear it. Constantly, continually repeating, 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 repeating. Why? That doesn't say something about God. That says something about our need to be reminded continually. How many of you wives know that you enjoy a little reminder from your husband that he loves you? Any wife likes that repetition? Raise your hand if a wife likes that repetition. You see, men, see how well we do. 
He does so in order to counter the waves of suffering his readers were enduring with waves of truth. I like that. On the beach, we know the waves will what? Continually come in. Emphatically proclaim this, this truth, emphatically proclaim. Each time Peter treats the theme of our suffering for doing good in Christ's name, he advances our understanding of the reality so that our suffering is in union with Christ and has a glorious, not a shameful or destructive purpose. We just come out of a series concerning the Holy Spirit. And the tendency and the danger is this. Now that we're in 1 Peter, we can forget about the Holy Spirit, put that away. That was good, enjoyed it, had a couple of really exciting moments, and we need to move on. But you see, this morning, God wants to show you something about the presence and power and purpose and necessity of the Holy Spirit. Come on up, girl. Patrice Pry doesn't know what I'm going to be speaking about. Didn't go to her and say, now, we're going to be speaking about this, and I want you to prepare something to say so it looks good. All Patrice knows is that she's coming back to church from the conference we've been on, and she's going to be here this morning. Well, look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. How many of you see the word fiery trial? How many of you see those words in there? You see those? The Holy Spirit is communicating to us today, specifically, I think wonderfully, uniquely maybe, and I didn't ask her to do this during the singing, which we normally would do, but to do it here. Why? To emphatically demonstrate that this is God's word. And at the end of the sermon, you will see another emphatic demonstration that the Holy Spirit is here today to convey his truth to us, to minister to us, and to accomplish his purpose in us. Read. <laughs> it's your turn. <laughs> Malachi 3.3 says, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. I felt like the Lord was saying there may be some here today that are entering a season of enduring and purifying process of being refined. Rather a trial for some or difficulty circumstances for some. Some may have fallen into sin or a sin pattern that has caught you off guard. And the stronghold of it has tightened the grip. I believe the Lord would say, just as a silversmith sits at the fire and holds the piece of silver over the fire and lets the fire heat up, it is I, the Lord, purifying and refining you because I love you too much to leave you alone. The process will be uncomfortable and even painful at times. At one point, I will even hold you in the middle of the fire where the flame is the hottest to burn away the impurities and the strongholds. Do not be afraid, but be still. You may ask, how long will I be in the flames of purifying? Remember, it is I who will hold you and I will keep my eyes on you the entire time. I will not leave you a moment too long in the flames. 
I will know you are fully refined when I see my own image in you, the beautiful piece of silver I have fashioned. Thank you. Now, that's the whole sermon. And you may say, I don't need to preach. Well, while I'm alive, I'm going to preach. <laughs> but what we're going to say this morning, she did not know. And all we're going to do is to take that word, which is the word we've read, and do some expounding on that because God is insisting that we understand what is going on in our lives in a way that Satan's advantage be taken away so that God's purpose will be worked out in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you for the presence and the power and the intrusion, if you would, of your spirit. Father, thank you for already preparing the way. Father, thank you for causing us to recognize that this is just not some man taking a passage and talking about it and bringing forth some thoughts, that this is a word from you. So, Father, this morning, prepare our hearts, cause our ears, the ears of our hearts and understanding to be opened by your Spirit, to be receiving, to be welcoming so that you will accomplish your purpose in us. Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amazing God. Amen? Amazing God. Yes, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. You just saw functioning this morning a gift of God in bringing about in a very real and workable way his presence and his power this morning to encourage us. I am here. I am working. I do know what I'm doing, and I'm going to accomplish the work in you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I've been studying for this for several days. And by Wednesday morning, I have about a page and a half of notes that I believe the Holy Spirit has given to me for you. So Wednesday morning, I go out to Starbucks Coffee Company. I'm out there about 6.30 in the morning. And continue to open the Word, open it, and start hearing from God and acting with God getting this thought, getting that thought, writing down notes and pieces of paper, putting arrows around, and you know, all of that kind of thing that you do. It's the old ways, before computers. It's the way that really works. <laughs> and it's about, I don't know, 11 o'clock, and I feel the Holy Spirit has completed the project. <sighs> so I can go home because, you see, I have a lot of information here I know that surprises you that we have a lot of information, but I have a lot of information, and I'm going to go home. I'm going to get home. I'm going to email it to Evan May. He's my Timothy, and he's going to take that and whatever, and we're going to work together. And then I'm going to leave Thursday morning to go on this, I keep saying retreat, but whatever you call this, what do we call it? Conference. Because I know that at the conference, I'm going to have to have some time to edit this, but 
I want to go to at least some of the conference, especially Friday night when Keith is speaking, because I don't want to miss that. You know, I'll be in trouble. <laughs> so I was there to make trouble for Keith. So I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to email this to Evan, 4 o'clock Wednesday afternoon. Remember? So I take that little stick, that little thing you shove on the side and put all the information on, what do you call that? Flash drive? Machine. So to me, it's a machine. I'm taking time on this because I want you to hear something. So I take this flash drive and I stick it in my wife's computer and pull up first Peter. Because you see, that which I have put in the computer in four hours of study, Wednesday, what day was it? Wednesday morning is on this flash drive. I, I, you know, took it, saved it there, saved You know how you do. Now, some of you know I'm a computer whiz. (laughs) Anybody needs to learn something about computers, come see me. And you'll never use a computer ever again. (laughs) And I opened it. And I scroll down and I see page one. I have like seven pages. Half of page two. Okay, hmm, continue, nothing is there. Okay, <clears throat> I get that little tight feeling. <laughs> and, and believe it or not, I began to experience a little attitude. I know you don't think I can have an attitude, but I began to experience an attitude. Okay, I know what I need to do. I need to go to my computer because apparently it's in my computer and I didn't save it to the flash drive. See, Nancy, that's what I probably did. But there's something saying to me, it ain't there. (laughs) Have you ever heard the enemy whispering to you like that? It ain't there. You ain't going to find it. I'll open my computer, Andy. Go to First Peter, open it. Okay, and I'm serious. I'm I'm not acting. I'm like holding my breath. Are you with me on trials? Attacks, suffering, difficulties? Are you with me? I'm holding my breath. Because you see, I don't need an attack at this moment. (laughs) I need an attack when I don't have to worry about its consequences. First page is there. Half the second page is there. Oh, my gosh. So I did the most intelligent thing. I called Evan May. (laughs) I said, is there a way to have deleted something? I I don't know what I've done wrong. And find it in the computer thing, that machine. He said, no, we went through some things. Is Evan here? Oh, he's with the kids? He couldn't help me, which is highly unusual. Remember to remind Evan about this. Okay, I am upset. I'm beginning to feel a tightness in my stomach and around my head. Seriously, have you been experiencing any trials? Do you feel tightness 
in your guts, in your head. Anybody ever feel that in your trials? Anybody at all? Am I the only one who feels this way when things are not going well? And I actually began to, seriously, perspire a little bit. Mayo, you know what I mean? Kind of little, Mac, you know what I'm saying? Seriously, kind of, kind of a little hot. So I'm sit, I sat down at the computer. It's about 4.15. And I'm going to try to reconstruct everything that the Lord has given me in six hours that day because I've thrown away all the notes. I don't need them. I have them in my computer, girl. Don't know me. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Can't you tell? Why should I have to experience, Mike, a trial when I have to preach about it? That isn't fair, brother. You see, sometimes folks think, well, the preachers don't experience anything. Why does Peter refer to this as a suffering, as a fiery trial? Oh, you didn't hear the rest of the story? Hold on. You see, he knows. And I want you to identify with this. What do sufferings do to us? At least, what is their capability in us? Think for a moment. Think. Every one of us who has breath in this room and any kind of form of intelligence knows this. That in Christ, we will suffer for righteousness because there is an enemy there opposing the purposes of God continually. He is malevolent and he is unrelenting. And so if you've experienced sufferings of any type, you know what they can do to you. Can they consume our thoughts and imaginations with fear and anxiety? Yes or no? Any amens? It's a Pentecostal church. We can say amen occasionally. Can they sap our spiritual and emotional energy? Can they literally make us physically weak? Can they turn our attention away from God to something else? Have you experienced this? Can they cause us to be tempted to question God's mercy, goodness, and especially his sovereignty. God, you're in charge. You know I did not need this at this time. Jeff, it's not like God, well, I would have, you know, if you'd have been, I'm trying to help you, brother. I didn't need this. Let me have this after the sermon some kind of way and lose my notes. think had I not had notes how long this could really be <laughs> maybe today it's a fiery trial of it no so <laughs> see fiery trials what is Peter talking about well you heard one example here this morning probably the apostle also is thinking about Proverbs 27 verse 21 the crucible is for silver, the refiner's fire is for silver. The furnace is for gold, and a man is tested in his praise. Because remember, Peter has used some of this terminology in this verse. Testing, 
rejoicing, fire. So I think he's obviously referring at least to somewhat of this. You see, the fiery trial, the furnace, has to do with the separation of the precious gold or silver from those unwanted, useless materials. And so the way to get them out is to apply the heat. Hebrews 12, 29, for our God, our God is a consuming fire. You see, it is our God who is the refiner of the believer and the one who judges the unbeliever. Peter's telling us that the fiery trial is God's work of refining our characters, purifying us and strengthening us. The only problem with it is he does it at the most inopportune moment. How many of you really agree with that? God does things like this when it's not now, not now. His timing is off, if you understand what I mean. You see, although Satan intends to use the trial to burn our faith up, Satan's in the trial too, you see, and his purpose is to burn our faith away. But God is using it, and he can be depended upon to be faithful, to use the fire to purify and strengthen us as he is burning away the chains of our sin and the chains of worldliness, revealing and bringing forth the pure gold of his grace in us. Let's look at Luke 22, 31 and 32. You see, the apostle Peter understood something of this personally. Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, you remember, Jesus tells Peter this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you or demanded permission to have you that he might sift you like wheat, that he might burn you down. Satan's purpose is to destroy You see, in verse 31, Jesus warns Peter of the coming fiery trial. He warns him, it's coming, it's coming. Then look at verse 32. In verse 32, then he assures us. He warns us, and then he assures us of something. He says, but I have prayed for you. But I have prayed for you, Romans, I'm sorry, Hebrews 7.25, a Hebrews 7.25 moment. But I have prayed for you, and when you have turned or been converted, strengthen your brothers. I prayed for you. You're going through it. I prayed for you. But what is the assurance? Oh, thanks for your prayers, but no, the assurance is this. I'm praying for you. I am in the midst. I am using it, and I will bring you out as a greater man than you went in. See, this is Peter's purpose in this letter, to warn and to assure. 
What happened because of Peter's trial? What happened? A man of sand became a rock of God. Isn't that right? How many of us are very thankful for men like Peter and Paul and John? How many of us are thankful for these men? You know how they got to be what they were? They were placed into Christ by the Holy Spirit, and then they went through trial after trial after trial after trial after trial. They didn't get where they weren't because they went uh, where they are. They didn't do what they did because they went to school and had some good education and background. They may may not have. They were who they were in the power of the Spirit because God put them through trial after trial after trial. Continually and more, in a greater way rather, more refining the gold of His grace and the power of His word and work in these men. Let's talk about rejoicing in suffering. First one was refined. I forgot to tell you that. The second one is rejoicing in suffering. Now, because God uses our trials to refine us, should we, what should our attitude be? What should our attitude be? If everybody in here knew, think, you're going to go home today, you go out to the parking lot, you're going to start your car, and the engine's going to fall out. Let's say that happens. You know, but you know for sure that the reason for that engine to fall out is because God has a brand new, much better car or truck or whatever at home. How many of you would be upset about the engine falling out? How many? It's a very strange person over here. You see, if we, if we know what's going to happen, it makes our ability to go through so much easier. The problem is we don't know exactly how long the trial is going to take. We don't know exactly what is going to happen. But we know the most important thing is that God is in the midst of it to use it for His glory. Therefore, we are to rejoice when we go in the middle of this. Now, I had a tough time beginning to rejoice when I found that my notes were nowhere to be found. I all of a sudden didn't say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's a lie. Oh, I'm so glad, Lord, that you destroyed my notes so I can know you better, so I can preach it better tomorrow, so I can have an experience. That was not what I was thinking. I was thinking, what in the world, God, are you doing? He's using our trials to refine us, to bring forth the gold of his grace. Knowing that, should we therefore at least theologically understand that rejoicing is our response? Are you with me on this? Now, don't say amen. I want the amens. Why? Not for me. I don't need your amens. I want others in here, and I want the Holy Spirit to hear the body of Christ saying, we hear and we agree. That's why I like amens. That's why I like it. You're saying amen to God. This is his word, not mine. We need to decide to do what the apostle says and rejoice. It's easy to rejoice after it's all finished and we threw it all. Rejoicing. Judy, stand up. 
Come on, Momo, you can get up. You're with us the whole weekend. Boy, this lady is strange. Her husband just said amen under his breath, but you can say it louder, brother. You stand up too. Listen, listen to me. Listen. Shh. Listen. These two are both saved. God is working in their lives. Is that true? Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Judy, are you rejoicing? Can you praise God and thank Him in every circumstance? Can you, can you, every circumstance? Anything that's ever happened? Thank you. Their son died how many years ago? Ten years ago in an automobile accident. He was 18. This is real. Thank you. This is real. This is not just theological. It's real. So the next time you're going through a little twitch, call Judy and Donnie Bourgeois and ask them if they can't encourage you in your little twitch. Because I reckon that the difficulties that I have experienced in my life, brother and sister, are nothing to be compared to what you two have gone through. I have my grandson here this morning, my main man. And if this guy dies, I am going to fall apart, I believe. And nothing else that I have ever experienced will ever touch that. And yet they can say that in all things they give praise to God. You rejoice. Peter's saying rejoice. Why? Because God is in the trial and he's doing something greater than what we think we are experiencing. Verse 13, he says in the beginning of it, but rejoice in so far as you're sharing the sufferings of Christ. Why joy? Why? That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You see, Jesus coming back one day. He's coming back, Bob. Bob, right? Visitors, man, I get this wrong, they're never coming back. But they from, we're Jackson, Mississippi, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, maybe Ole Miss can do something one day. But, well, let's go somewhere else now. Uh, rejoice. Rejoice. You see, our rejoicing in the midst of everything anticipates it looks forward to by faith it looks forward to anticipates something it not only anticipates something right now but let's face it sometimes right now things will never work out you hate to say amen on that don't you but it is a truth but there's coming a day when the clouds will be broken through, as we sang this morning, and they will be rolled back as a mighty scroll by the strong arms of God Almighty himself, and Jesus Christ will descend with a shout. I like that. He's not quiet. And we who are within the Lord and everyone else saved will be united to be with him forever. And on that great day, he will show us by 
opening the curtain of our experiences to show this is what I was doing. And on that day, we will say, oh God, your wisdom and your work and your glory is absolutely praiseworthy. But today is a day of rejoicing, not only just to get, quote, out of something now, not rejoicing. If I rejoice now, I can get out of this thing. I'm going to feel a lot better. No, we rejoice because it has to do with the revelation of God's glorious Son. Is he worth rejoicing over? If God never does any other blessing in your life, is having eternal life worth everything right now without having anything else? Yes. Yes. Thank you. You may clap. You may clap. You may jump up and yell. You may run. You may do what you want to do because God is worth the exercise and the activity. Someone said the other day, brother, if I jump up and and yell, whatever, I say do it. I'll jump and yell better than you. I won't jump, but I'll maybe yell better than you. Let's turn to an example in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 3. And I'm not going to have time to read this. Well, let's, let's read it. It's worth reading the Word of God. Let's look at this thing that, this thing of rejoicing. When I say rejoicing, we are looking by faith to the one who will return and fully reveal his finished work. Rejoicing is anticipating that what God is and who he is and what he is doing will redound to his great glory and our eternal benefit and blessing. That's what we're doing when we are rejoicing in the midst of all this stuff that's going on. Chains of Satan's fear and the chains of anxiety and the chains of anger and the chains of frustration are broken over us as we rejoice in the Lord. Nehemiah 10, for the the, what? The joy of the Lord is my what? My strength. Let's read verses 10 to 15. You remember the Babylonians have come in and captured the Jewish, destroyed Jerusalem and taken out a whole lot of people out of Jerusalem. And we're talking this morning about Nebuchadnezzar building a big, very big statue on the plains of Shinar. And he's going to say, look, every time this thing, you're going to bow down to this, bow down to it and whatever. And you have these teenage boys, these three teenage boys who have been taken out of Jerusalem and now they're living in Babylon. Three teenagers. If you're a teenager this morning, don't you ever believe that the power of God cannot rest upon you, should not rest upon you, is not resting upon you, and that in your own walk and in your own relationship with God and in your determination to serve the Lord and not bow to everybody else's women, this and that and the other thing, that you can literally shape a great work of God in a church. Teenagers. And so they're talking to the king, and they explain to the king what he could do. Oh, you old king, why don't you make a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trident, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a fiery furnace. Don't you hear Satan's word in that? And there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. You hear the accusations of Satan? They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, trigen, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image, then I, that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, if you do not worship, have you heard these words from Satan? If you do not, have you heard them from your friends? If you do not, have you heard them? If you don't do it this way, if you don't say that, if you don't believe that, if you don't go there, if you don't wear that, then... Don't you hear the words of Satan? If you don't, you shall immediately be cast into a burning furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? If you don't. How many of us have been in experiences where we have felt and experienced that if you don't? The moment you begin to hear that if you don't, rise up, O church, of Christ. See, they were threatened with a fiery trial. It was Satan's strategy to bring them down, but it was God's strategy to build them up. It was Satan's strategy to do what? Burn them down, bring them down, but it was God's strategy to do what? Build them up. Verses 16 to 18. I'm looking for verse 16, excuse me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, I like this. Now listen, not only every teenager, but listen, every man and woman of God, when you are beginning to experience, feel, smell, hear, or anything of the temptation of Satan, listen to these words of gutsy teenagers. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need of answering you in this matter. We don't have to discuss this thing. We don't need to discuss it. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if we don't get delivered on this side of this earth, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You know why there's so much sin in our lives? Because that attitude and that action is not enough in our daily lives. Well, everybody else is going, we better go. Well, I don't want to be weird and look different. There's a hook in all that stuff. Whether you're 12 or 92, there's a hook in it. There's a hook in it. See, Paul understood this. 
He knew that in the midst of the trial and the difficulty and the temptation, he could look to God and rejoice. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. For this slight momentary, this fiery trial is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now we can't stop there because there's a caveat to this. What are we doing in the trial that we're not only anticipating but wanting this great work of glory to occur? What does the rest of the verse say? What does verse 18 say? Look, as we look, while we are looking, not at the things that are seen, the people's attitudes, what everybody else is doing, how they're doing it, what's going to happen to us, and all that kind of stuff, but to the things that are unseen, to the God who is in heaven, who is Christ, who is seated at the throne that we don't see. For the things that are seen are transient, they're passing away, but the things that are not seen are eternal. We've got to look away from these trials not to ignore them or to deny them, but in the midst of them, not to give them the control and the credence in our lives as we sit there and mantra over our trials and obsess over our trials and allow our trials to be burning God, the faith of, that God has put in our hearts. But we must make a decision. May I repeat that word? We must make a what? Decision to look away and to look to Christ. Church, it's hard, but it's hard, brother. It's hard. Yes, it's hard, but it works and it's God's glory and he will have the joy in it. It's hard. Rewarded in suffering. <clears throat> rejoice, refine, rejoice, now what? Rewarded. Verse 14, Peter tells us, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, and that doesn't mean this, you are a nasty, la, 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 la. But whatever happens as a result of your walk in Christ, you are insulted, you're attacked, you're vilified, you're slandered, whatever it is, however it works out, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You're blessed. <laughs> now, you may not feel blessed, <clears throat> and you want, may want to pass that blessing on to the other person who has insulted you. <laughs> Anybody ever want to pass on blessings to someone else when they, you know, they're, they're blessing you when they're doing this. So the next time something happens, they say something about you, they call you something, or you got left on. Remember, God is using this to refine you. To bless you. So don't come and run into us and say, Brother, guess what happened? Someone said this about me. Rejoice. <laughs> yeah, but it hurt my feelings. Well, those feelings are too much of the flesh anyway. Let the Holy Spirit renovate your feelings. You see, as we trust and obey God's purpose in the midst, right in the middle of the trial, not after the trial, but in the middle of it, when you don't know what's going to happen and how long it's going to take and how you're going to feel about it, etc. right in the middle of it, as we trust and obey, as we worship, as we rejoice, as we look to the end product in heavenly places, God himself is our reward. 
Look at the experience in Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. Go back to Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. There's a reward here. Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. Then the king said, are you with me? Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. And the king said, the Nebuchadnezzar, while these boys are in the furnace, they're in the furnace. Where are they? They're in the midst of the trial. They're in the fiery furnace when this verse is stated. And the king looks and he said, I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Oh, the son of God. The son of God. Where is he? Where is he? You see, rewards. I don't know whether there will be any reward on this side as far as natural rewards are concerned. More money, better house. I don't know. There may be, there may not be. That's not a guarantee, one side or the other. It's God's design and his purpose. We don't teach a false gospel here that says if you praise God today, you'll have a Cadillac tomorrow. That's voodoo. Worshiping God and trusting God and faith in God to have stuff is voodoo. It's voodoo. Here's the great reward. The greatest reward for us and the greatest reward for God is the same reward. The greatest reward for us and the greatest reward for God is the same reward. Huh? What do you mean by that? It's our mutual fellowshipping. It's our fellowshipping together. That's our greatest reward. The fourth man. That's the fourth man's greatest reward. With us. This is the great reward. You see, if you don't get anything else, if you don't get anything else, get this. I don't care if you don't get anything else this morning, get this. In refining us, God is lovingly and carefully drawing us deeper and deeper into his own inner life. Into the love and the joy that he has within himself about himself. We are experiencing more and more what Peter talks about in this next letter being partakers of the divine nature. In these trials, we are experiencing more of the reality and power of what the word Emmanuel means. God with us and in us and we in him. What is the reason for and the end result of, therefore the reward to both us and to God 
of our fiery trials, that he is using us to draw us out through these trials, away from that world and sin and Satan's control and all that activity, further and further and deeper and deeper into an experience of himself. So the question I would ask is this, are these trials worth the reward? You see, friends, we were saved for this. We were saved that we would be the visible Emmanuel people of God. Jesus died to propitiate God's wrath, to put it away. And in Jesus' death, our sins were expiated. They were put away because of the death of Jesus. The wrath of God was put away from us. He consumed it in his son. Therefore, we are forgiven. <clears throat> and in his resurrection, we are now, by the Holy Spirit, declared just, justification. And we are justified because God now will adopt us into his family as his full final and forever children this is God's great purpose to have us together with himself us enjoin him and he enjoin us all of us wrapped up if you would in the community of the love of God that he has within himself this is what it means to experience the love of God and to practice the love of God and what is one of the primary ways God does this? Through trials. Can any of us say that we do not want or need a deeper experience of intimacy <clears throat> with Christ? How many of you honestly really do want a deeper experience with God this morning? What we're doing, we're asking for trials. But there is not another path. This is the path. And in the midst of the trial, these are the things Peter says, you got to remember. You have to remember these things. Eric already read this. But I'll read this verse again. Isaiah 43, 2. He read it. Another indication. God's all over this. When, not if... What word? What did what, what we just hear? What? Mammy, what was that word? When, not if. When. I, I, how many of you would rather say if? If you go through a problem. How many of you would rather say if? Here, if. But it doesn't say if, does it? What does it say? When. When you pass through. Psalm 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me when you pass through the waters what I will be with you and through the rivers they will not overwhelm you when you walk through the fire you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you why why because I will be with you where is God in these boys' lives when these three boys are in the midst of the furnace? Where is Jesus? Right smack dab with them in the middle of the fiery furnace, using it for his purpose. 
God is with us and for us in these things. He's not against us, which we might think Satan is trying to convince us of. He's with us and he's for us. So here's the testimony of Daniel 3.27. The hair of their heads were not singed, their coats were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. And in verse 28, here's the testimony of this king who told them, you don't bow down to my boy, you're going down. I'm the king, and you bow down to me. Doesn't that sound like Satan? Here's now what Nebuchadnezzar says. Here's another reward of fiery trials. You see, people are out there looking at us. They're listening to us. I would rather them not listen to me because I do too much griping. Now, I know you don't think so, but Pete Shefferson can tell you. In fact, I do so much griping, I gripe about being gripey. Don't, don't, I, don't I? But listen to the testimony of this king. Blessed be the God of those in Lakeview Christian Center who are in the midst of trials, who went through Katrina, and God brought forth them forth in a greater way, whose relationships have been difficult. But look what's happening in them. Blessed be God. What are we looking for, if not that? Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, the Lord Jesus, and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside my commands, the king's commands, setting aside the work of Satan, declawing the enemy, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. So at 4.15 on Wednesday, I am beginning to seethe. Anybody with me on that? Anybody seething because things are not going right? Anybody in here, you know what seething means? I'm upset. I'm angry. And I'm standing in my dining room. And I'm trying to bring my thoughts under control so at least I can get something done and redo something of this sermon. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm... <clears throat> And it's growing in me. La 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 la. You don't have a sermon, and you ain't gonna put one together. Do you hear the taunts of the enemy? Anybody? Can you recognize that in your life? Or am I the only strange person? Well, I'm probably the only strange person here. But um, you know, I don't know. There's some strange people here, Butch. 
Let me go on this side. I think fewer strangers over strange people over here. La 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 la. You're not gonna make it. You're not. Look. Luke, I'm battling. I'm upset, brother. You understand? It's a sinking bad feeling that all of this is gone. I'm standing, I've stood up. Here's the goodness of God. Can you hear me over there? Because I can speak louder. Here's the goodness and faithfulness of God. He said, I will be where in the trial? Where? I'll, I'll, I'll sit on the side, brother, and I'm going to coach you from the side. So I'm going to be with you. I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, a thought comes into my mind, a thought that challenges and overcomes the other thoughts of fear and frustration and anger. And why? And it says this. This, I mean, I should have known it anyway. It should be obvious to me. This is an attack of Satan. Stand against it. I gritted my teeth, seriously. And I stood there. Jean was in the other room. She'd probably come in and say, who? I stood there. Listen to me. I stood there. And I looked across the room as if I could see a visible being. Satan is real. I stood there and I said, you will not make me sin and question God. I said it again. You will not make me sin and question God. I will trust God. Two seconds later, Jean walks into the room. And she said, well, did you, did, I've forgotten exactly what she said. She'll correct me on this later. But the point of the matter is, <laughs> it was something about, I don't remember, save or whatever. So I called Eric. Small. So you here? See, Evan couldn't help me. Eric helped me. <laughs> and I said, Eric, is there anything I can do? And he said, well, did you, you know, no, it's not there. No, it's not there. Then he just says one thing. He just says one thing. He says, how did you save it? I said, what do you mean how I saved it? I saved it on First Peter. That's how I saved it. Then the thought comes to my mind, why don't you look back, and I don't know what these things are called, of all the things that you, you know, you look at all this stuff to see how you, whatever that's called. So I looked at it, and, and I actually look, which I almost never do, at the date modified. I normally go to the, you know, why would I want to go to the date modified? I, I don't do that. You understand? I don't do this kind of thing. I'll go to the date What's wrong with this? I go to the date modified, and I see First Peter, Lakeview Christian Center, and then Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a Sunday school class that everybody should be in. Now, <laughs> yes, you should be there. Yes. This morning we talked about the uh, armor of God in Ephesians 6. All of you missed it except those who were there. Now, I look at this, and I said, wait a minute. Why is this thing, Lakeview Christian Center, word document in there. What is that? I don't, I don't save anything to Lakeview Christian Center Word document. So I hit the little button and there was a sermon. Now, 
I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that had I not heard, listen to what I'm not going to say. I'm convinced that had I not done this and done that. You see, James 4, 7 says, resist the devil. Yes, but it first says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. So don't forget the most important point in it. God says, I am with you in the midst of all this. I'm here. It is high. I'm here, me, and me, Jesus. I'm convinced that I had not heard that word, I heard that word, but had I not acted on that word, had I not decided to go against everything that I felt, everything that I thought, everything that I feared, I went against everything in my natural man and did what the Lord told me to do, and here is the result this morning. Now, don't tell me we don't understand fiery trials, but we don't have to be consumed by them. Thankfully, I heard his voice, and then I obeyed it. And my feeling was, Satan, you can burn the whole thing to the ground. I will not submit to your tactics. Let's stop running away from the enemy. Let's start submitting to God. Let's begin to see what God is doing here. Let's trust him. Let's look to the eternal. Let's praise God in it and let him do his work that Satan can be shown to be what he is, a liar, a deceiver, a destroyed, defeated enemy of God. Rather than giving him so much credence in our lives. Ready for suffering? I'm just going to say it this way. Satan's greatest tactic is to surprise you. Peter takes it away by saying in verse 12, don't be surprised. Today, I warn you, and let me say it this way. Come on down, Johnny. I warn you. Let me say it this way. You might want to take a little card and put on your dashboard, your icebox, or somewhere it is where you are, and put, I will be attacked by the enemy, but God is with me to bring glory to himself. Just be ready. It says be ready. You see, be ready for suffering. Are you ready? Are you watching? How can we be on guard? What should our attitude be? I said in the beginning, Patrice had a word of God to start us off. Johnny came to me toward the end of the service here this morning. It's a little slower than some people. He came on up here, but he was right on time. And he has a scripture for us. And he did not know that this, go ahead, put the scripture on the screen. He did not know that this scripture is the last scripture we're going to read. Now listen to this scripture. And keep this scripture in mind in relation to the fiery trials that you are experiencing. Read this, brother. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all. How will he all, not also with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, 
For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's stand together. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and 